0: Let's turn to uh, Romans
1: chapter 7. I don't know if anyone uh, on, uh, on, on social media this week, there was a, a, a post that kind of, I don't know if it went, I, don't, I wouldn't say it went viral, but it became kind of popular, it's like this long quote about the Disney princess theology. I don't know if you guys saw it or not, anyone? Oh, good, cool. So I shouldn't have said that and thought this idea was all mine. <laughs> There was an idea out there, and uh, part of it was, it was, it was, was good, but really, uh, the intent of it was, was actually kind of not good. And so I, I just redeemed the idea, okay? So I thought the point that was being made was actually interesting, it's just, the fullness of the point was not good, in my, in my opinion. And I think in a biblical opinion as well. So we're gonna take a look at this thing, uh, which I am calling the Disney Princess Theology. Right. So strap in, because I haven't really preached in three weeks.
0: <laughs> Four
1: bottles, right? Last week was like a sermonette. Uh, and then uh, the week before was Ruth Hendrickson. Powerful word, right? Powerful word. So it's been a little while. You need an extra bottle? Uh, maybe. we we'll ask, we'll, we'll ask the bottle keepers. <laughs> <laughs> well, halfway through, we'll ask, you know, So one bottle review or two bottle review. (laughs) Romans chapter seven, verse 14. Let's actually begin in 13 for a little context. Has then what is good become death to me? This is Paul speaking. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, I am sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, I do not practice. But what I hate, I do. If then I do what I will not do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. All right. So it's kind of a strange kind of like unpacking of what Paul is saying. Um, but let me, if you didn't pick up on it, because even the new King James like makes it a little confusing. Uh, maybe some of the versions make it a little clearer. But this is what's going on. Here. Paul is, is, is there. He's, he's like, look, I, 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 I am redeemed, but I have sin. He says, I do not do the things that I know I should do. And I do not do the things that I even want to do. That's perplexing. I know I should do this. I know I want to do this. I know that this is what I'm compelled to do, to live a life that is sinless. But I don't do it. And at the same time, I do the things that I hate to do. It's like, what the heck is going on? What he's saying here is he knows what is right. And he knows what he should and in fact what he wants to do in his spirit. He wants to live a certain lifestyle. He wants to root out the carnal. He wants to get rid of the flesh. He knows that what he, that's what he needs to do. Not only that, that's what he needs to do. It's what he wants and actually desires to do. But he doesn't always do that. He does the things that he hates. He does the carnal. And this is a very, very open, open book of Paul. I love it. I don't think a lot of pastors today would be so open. I know what to do, what is right. And my spirit man wants to do it, but I sometimes submit myself to the carnal. And I do things that I should not be doing, and there are actually things I don't even want to do. But don't worry, he says. It's not me doing these things that I shouldn't do. It's the sin in me. That's a big difference. Paul is differentiating between who you are for God because of the blood of Jesus and the sins that you're doing. Those sins I don't want to do. Those sins don't define me. They're not me. You're still the leftover of my carnal world. It's still the leftover of the carnal in me. That's powerful. What is he saying? He's not making excuses. What he's saying here is, I am not defined by my sin. I have right standing before the Lord. But there still is a wrestling. A wrestling between the carnal and the spirit. And if you're honest, you know what we're talking about. Right? I mean, we, we all have a tendency to yeah. allow the carnal mind to rule something.
0: That's right. Amen. Right?
1: So... Collectively, I think as a big C church, church at large, uh, born again believers, we're, we're pretty good. We're pretty good at pointing out each other's carnality,
0: right?
1: Some, sometimes, actually, I would say maybe we're too good at it, right? And maybe some of you, if you have some of that, like you know, Catholic guilt or German guilt, whatever it may be, you know, you uh, you, you you're really hard on yourself, and you can point out the carnal place to yourself. Yeah, sometimes we're maybe too good at that, right? We'll do that with brothers, we'll do that with sisters, unfortunately. Uh, but today's message isn't really even about that. Uh, it's about this. Today's message is not regarding the carnal which is seen. It is regarding the carnal that is not seen. I'm say that again. Whatever you think is the carnal and you're focusing on, I'm not talking about that. That's like Christianity 101. I'm talking about the carnality that you can't even see it's a carnality that cannot be seen because it has been deeply submerged behind our culture. You can't see it. Because your culture's in the way. That's what I'm not color. That place of carnality. Alright? so this brings us to the Disney princess theology. Alright? So a quote that I saw uh, was this one by Erna Hackett. It says, Christianity suffers from a bad case of Disney princess theology. As each individual reads scripture, they see themselves as the princess in every story, the protagonist, the good guy. They're always Esther, never Xerxes or Haman. They are Peter, but never Judas. They are the woman anointing Jesus, never the Pharisees. They are the Jews escaping slavery, never Egypt. Wow. Right? We, we come to the Lord, we read the scripture like, oh, that's me. I'm the, victim. I'm, the victim. I'm the good guy, right? And they're the bad guy. Or I'm the victim. God with me. I'm the protagonist of this story. I'm the good guy. That's right. Sure. Okay. So let's move to like you know Christianity like three oh three instead of one on one. Every man and every woman has a spiritual man and a carnal man inside of you. Yes, is an Esther, but there can also be a Haman. Yeah. My daughter is a Good. <laughs> Every man or woman has a Peter, but also a Judas. Every man or woman has a carnal and a spiritual man. And this is what's going on here. One of the profound mysteries of humankind, one of the profound mysteries of humankind, is not the ability for a person to do good. I get that. The real perplexity, the mystery, is that it's possible, and often it does happen, that a good person does bad things. That's the mystery. I get it that people can be good. But for a good person, to be saved, to be spirit-filled, and still make a choice to do something that is bad, that's a complexity. How could they do this? How could they do this to me? How could they do this to other people? Why would they do this, whether it's big, whether it's small, how and why could they do this? And this is exactly what Paul is trying to express. I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I know I should be, and I, in fact, really want to do. Because there's times when the flesh rises up. You get what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So the Disney formula is, is a bit of this. It. It's a deeply rooted cultural concept, whereby consciously or even sometimes, sometimes subconsciously, there is an inner theology that can dominate our own worldview. And dominate our decision making. And it's, it's really this there is a formula to the classic Disney movies. The newer Disney movies have moved away from it a little bit, but there, there's motifs are still there. The classic Disney formula is really taken a, a lot of them, the older ones from uh, some of the old European fairy tales, and they just modified. Uh, and here is, it's, it's crazy, I like, you start thinking about this when you're watching it with kids. Like I remember I was watching um, I was watching uh, when Naomi was even younger, she 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 had this thing that like she 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 yeah, it, was, it was bizarre. She she just didn't want to she didn't want to do the things that all of, all of the other kids would want to do. And we're kind of getting down to the, down to it, and she's like, "Well, what do you want to be when you grow up?" And she says she wants to be a she wants to be a boy, right? She wants to be like that, right? As many little girls do. And yet, of course, like, you know, 21st century, all the social stuff that people are saying, "Oh, what's going on?" I really got down to it, and I said, "Well, why?" She's like, "Well, boys have all the fun."
0: It's
1: <laughs> <was like>, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, very real, right? you, know, you, you know, the world we're living in today, you know. Like, Oh, is that kid teaching teacher, Yeah. teacher? You know? Yeah. So she's like, boys have all the fun. And so we started talking. I was like, oh my gosh. Like all these little kid movies. Like the girls are the ones that are like looking for a redeemer, looking for a helper. Right? Um, and the boys come around and save them. And she's like, I don't want to be saved by someone else. I want to be the person that saves, you know? Like I want to be that. And I was like, wow. And I was like, I got to think of a movie. That like has a redeeming female Disney character. And so it's like you should, you should, you should, have, you should have her watch a mm-hmm. Right? She's, the, the female is like this victorious amount kind of person. So we're watching it and I'm like, oh no. Yeah, she's like a female powerful person but uh, she pretends to be a boy. <laughs> I was like, all right, this wasn't it.
0: <laughs> what I'm trying to get
1: at here is this without embarrassing my daughter. She'll ever, like listening to the sermon one day. Is this. There is a cultural paradigm which Disney and media has brought forth, which is deeply rooted inside of us, and it's not just the female or the male. I think we all can kind of process this since this. This is the format. In the most Disney movies, first thing up is that a parent or parents die tragically. Like almost every single one, you go lion king on down, something tragic happens to the person that is supposed to be protecting you. The person that's supposed to be teaching you. And they're gone. And now what happens here is the child feels like they're abandoned. So right off the bat, we are teaching something, right? A sense of abandonment. And now you need someone or something to rescue you from that abandonment. Now in all these, there's a the formula. The formula is this. After this, now this princess becomes a victim. Becomes a victim of some type of evil plot. Next. The princess is displayed as being weak. Pure, naive, essentially a victim. All this has befallen her, and she's in this bad place. She's all good, Snow White, purity. She has no faults. She bears little responsibility for her redemption. Right? She's just kind of sitting there, waiting, waiting, waiting. Evil plots emerging. Right? The, the wicked queen, the wicked stepmother comes to her. Or if you know, she pricks her finger on the sewing needle, right? Uh, and she, the plot's unfolding. And she's so naive. She doesn't know what's going on. She's helpless. She's so helpless she needs the dwarves to help her, right? Or she needs uh, you know, uh, animals that can talk to save her. And then alas, the last, of course, Prince Charming is going to carry her off happily ever after. So I felt like the Lord was saying is that this is a cultural blueprint. I don't think it's necessarily Disney that is making the cultural blueprint. I think in part our culture has made Disney. And it's this. Seek is spiritual. How many of us come to the Lord thinking that we have no faults? How many of us are not bearing responsibility for our own life? How many of us are just waiting up in the clouds, waiting for Prince Charming to come and redeem us? to take us out of this world. Yeah. To heal us and to, and to move us into some kind of you know, utopia, really heaven. How many of us feel that we've been abandoned? How many of us either spiritually or physically have had a parent, a leader in our life, die a symbolic death in some way and has felt that we have now have nowhere to go to and feel abandoned in our life. So what is this teaching? It's teaching that you need someone a parent or a leader on earth to be the instruction for you and if you do not have that leader to instruct you a pastor a husband a wife of whomever now you feel abandoned and you're lost and now you need someone or something else to fill it and it's a very powerful formula that some of it is true right the lord is returning and the lord is going to take us and the lord is going to bring A solstice to all things But in the meantime I don't think we're necessarily supposed to be These naive princesses That actually believes they have no faults And they're a victim And they're abandoned (laughs) 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 That is is a a, 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 a narrative That is a narrative that's being taught And it's not the Bible. So, two main lies that I want to go over today. The first one. You are not just Snow White. You can also be the wicked stepmother. And if you don't think so, then you're really naive. (laughs) Alright, naive, like you're really naive. If you think that you have no faults and you're the, always the pure one, and you're always the right one. I'm telling you right now, see you, man. you are not just Snow White, you can also be the wicked stepmother. You are not just the one taking the apple of temptation. You actually might be one of the ones that is the giver of the temptation. You might be the one that's throwing out the environment. You might be the one that's throwing out the situation that's going to lure a loved one into a place of allowing their carnality to be raised up. Right? We're not just an Adam and Eve. There's a carnal in us that delivers the apple to another person. Here, bite this temptation. Go ahead. I'm picking a fight with you. Go ahead. I'm demeaning you. Let's see how you respond. So we don't just are tempted by the apple. I think our Carnal Sometimes wants to give the apple to another person Look we're not not just the Isaac of the story Sometimes we might be an Ishmael We're not just the the Peter of the story Sometimes we're the Judas Sometimes it's not just our spiritual man that's being displayed It's actually the carnal Hmm Matthew chapter 26, verse 24, I think, displays this. I mean, taking all that apple, allowing the, the flesh to rise up is, is, is a sense of denying the spirit of Jesus. It's denying the, the quickening of the Holy Ghost. I would never do that. I would never do that, Lord. I mean, you and I, we're, we're together, like I would never deny you, Jesus. You may not deny them verbally. You might not de- deny them verbally. But do you deny the Spirit of Jesus through a course of action? Yeah, amen. Not saying you're denying him like Peter that said, like, I don't know this guy. Maybe the worst denying that can happen is I know him, but I do not listen to what he says. Yeah. That's probably our worst denial, right? It's a two-phase conversation. I know him and I love him, but I'm still not going to do what he says. That's a major denial. But Matthew twenty six, Judas, sitting at the table, Passover. Jesus says, "One of one of the twelve shall deceive me or turn me in." And what does even Judas say at that moment? Surely not I. Surely not I. He knew he was going to because he knew he already did it. Like he already took the money, came up with a plan. It. You're still the garden of Sodom when he betrays by a kiss. But he. Can you imagine? Like Judas it appears in his mind, he actually thinks, even though he already has a plan, Lord, that he would never really fulfill and do it. Surely it can't be me. It can't be I, Jesus. Come on, man. Surely it can't be me or I that would betray you in the Spirit, Lord, by allowing the carnal to be raised up. So we deny, I do think, we deny the Spirit of Jesus. We become that wicked stepmother. We become that Judas when we have a thought of anger. We deny the spirit of Jesus with a a whisper of gossip. You deny Jesus with a ponderance, even a small ponderance of judgment towards a brother. We deny the spirit of Jesus when we allow the carnal to be raised up not the spirit to be raised up we deny the spirit of Jesus when we choose the comfort of conformity and when we submit ourselves to fear when we're being called to share the gospel to someone you know that Paul share the gospel right now here's an opportunity, do it you don't do it Yeah. why? Can. Why? I'd rather be comfortable yeah, amen. I'd rather conform to the world Denying. Spirit of it. Essentially since we, we allow the carnal to be raised up and the spiritual man to be brought low. There's an element of denial. Okay? I'm not saying you are go to hell's fire over it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying spiritually, there's a there's an element of that you have you're, you're not the snow white. Okay? What's powerful is this? Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. You probably know this, but. Matthew 26, um, this is when Judas kisses Jesus to signal to the Romans that this is the rabbi to get, right? That's the son. Matthew chapter 26, verse 40. Now his betrayer, Judas, had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, sees him. Immediately he, Judas, went up to Jesus and said, greetings rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? Obviously rhetorical, Jesus knows why he has come. But what's so profound here, he calls him friend. Wow. Someone wrongs you. Someone has set up the plans to kill you. You call them friend. That spouse that's giving you a hard time, you call them friend. A person that has the complete opposite political opinion to you, you call them friend. A person who is going to plan your destruction, physically and spiritually, you call them friend. Wow. If not. You're not a snow white. So, how do we get ourselves out of this? It's really knowing who you are. And for some of our... I've used this quote, uh, I think, once or twice before, but I love it. I love it. And uh, for, the, for some of our guests, it's, it's going to be new. One evening, an old Cherokee told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside people. He said... My son, the battle is between two wolves inside us all. One is evil. It is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, security, and ego. The other wolf, the other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson thought about it for a moment and then asked his grandfather, which wolf wins? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. The one you feed. Do you feed the spirit or do you feed the carnal?" Do you feed the narrative that you are a victim, that you are abandoned, that you are helpless, and you have no responsibility? Or do you feed the concept that you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus? That you can do all things through Him who strengthens you? That you are to be the head and not the tail? That you are to be a leader and not a follower? Which narrative do you feed? You are not naive like a snow white. You know the redemption by the blood of Jesus. Yes, we have faults. Yes, we have shortcomings. But you have a heavenly mandate to grow into it on this side of eternity. It's not like, ah, I have all these shortcomings and faults and it's going to be all good because Jesus loves me anyway and he's going to take me out of here and it's all going to be good. Yeah, it is all going to be good. But you have a heavenly mandate to be transformed into the image of Christ from glory to glory to you see him face to face. It's not like, oh, all these bad things have happened to me. I guess I just have to get through life. That is a false narrative. It's not the narrative of the gospel, it's a weak gospel. It's a whining gospel that is trying to be produced. You're not to be a whiner. And you are not have to be a victim. Because Jesus was. So it is time not to be a Cinderella. It is time not to be a Snow White. It is time not to be a victim. It is time not to even be a prince. It's time to be a Miriam, Singing praises, leaving the land of slavery. It's time not to be a princess Cinderella or Snow White or a little mermaid or whatever. It is time to be a Deborah Amen. that leads the nation of Israel to battle because no one else in the land would bear any responsibility. Yeah. That's right. It is time not to be a Cinderella waiting for the Prince Charming to come to take you out of it. It's time to be a Yael. takes out a tempeh and jams it into the temple of a general who's commanding the armies that are going up against the nation of Israel. God does not make weak women. God does not make weak men. But the narrative in the culture is you're a victim, you've been abandoned, hopeless and you need someone either a product to buy or a government yeah. to see. Okay. Oh,
0: right. No, I don't. I That's, exactly right. Amen.
1: That's not me. No. The government no. should be coming to me to be asking for policy. Amen. The government should be coming to me to look for righteousness. Amen. I'm telling you, the narrative is: you need someone or something—a symbolic Prince Charming that is going to save you and deliver you. That is a place of enslavement. That is a place of dependency. Amen. You got that right. You need Jesus. Yeah, that's and, right. And no, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Amen. You need Jesus. Amen. You need Jesus. You need Jesus to get you out of poverty. You need Jesus to get you out of anxiety. You need Jesus to find your home. You need Jesus to bring the breakthrough. But he's not looking for a helpless Snow White. He's looking for a warrior bride to partner with. I know it's not to be found in the scripture, but I think the intent of it is so true. Benjamin Franklin said God helps those who help themselves. There's a a little bit of truth to it. You need to partner with God. Snow White does not partner, and Cinderella does not partner. They sit there just waiting for a deliverer. The deliverer is coming. But he wants to see a victorious brother. You are not a Disney princess or even a prince charming. You are a royal priest in the kingdom of a living God. Stop being helpless. Pick up a jawbone.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but there is no way. I see no way. Go pick up a jawbone of the spirit and defeat the enemies of God. But I don't have this. I don't have a rifle. I don't have a knife. I don't have training. I don't have this. Whatever it may be in the spirituality. Come on, man. Pick up a job. Whatever is available. And you defeat the horns of hell. You are not called to be a helpless person. Amen. And to be a victim. But I'm telling you, the narrative of the culture, the narrative of, of the spirit, the principality of the governmental system is to make you feel that way. You need me. Yeah. You yeah. need us. No, I don't. Amen. I'm a free man Amen. for a living God. Amen. United States government shall provide all of your needs according to the riches in heaven. No. That's a lie. Christ Jesus That's right. goes before the throne room. And he releases Amen. the treasure in of heaven. In so. He's the so we're to stop being helpless. We have to go up in, in spirit. We have to get out to battle. Amen. And I think the biggest battle is especially against the enemy that's within. The tension, the wrestling between spirit and karma. So that's line number one. And I probably could have ended the sermon there. But that's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> So, halftime show. Mm-hmm. Oh. Line number two. Now, this Disney Princess theology, I took from this quote, right? Christianity suffers from a bad case of Disney Princess theology. Mm-hmm. I know I changed the quote. Mm-hmm. I changed it because it said this. Whoa. <laughs> White Christianity suffers from a bad case of Disney Princess Theology. It goes on. For the citizens of the most powerful country in the world who slay both native and black people to see itself as Israel, not Egypt, when it is studying scripture. It's a perfect example of Disney Princess Theology. And it means that as people in power, they have no lens for locating themselves rightly in scripture or society. And it has made them blind and utterly ill-equipped to engage issues of power and justice. It is some very weak Bible book. Oh boy. <laughs> Sorry, so, sister. Christianity does not have room for a white Christianity. Yeah. Okay,
0: then.
1: Christianity does not have room for a black Christianity. Christianity only has room for a God theology. It is a study of God. Sorry. Have you guys seen this piece? No. Don't worry. You're coming to the right church. Don't worry. There's a very popular New York Times bestseller. Pushing in the school systems, I even heard that there are churches that are pushing "White Fragility." It's a book written by a white female explaining that white people have a difficulty having conversations about racism, uh, and no matter what they do in response to it, it's coming out of this fragmentation, guilt, white guilt. So if you are Oblivious to any racial injustice is because you have a white fragility and you don't want to engage in. If you, it's like you, you can't get at it, right? So that's the one side. The other side is if you help in civil rights, and if you help in racial, bringing racial justice, you're still fragile because you're compelled to do that because of your guilt. So it's like whatever you do, you have guilt. And that's why you're doing it. Let me clarify things here for a minute. It is good. It is 100% good to discuss racial injustice. It is absolutely 100% good to act against and speak out against racism or anything that is not of the Bible. Yeah. Of course it is. But in the spirit, I thought the Lord was saying, guys, this, this book and this agenda is being sugarcoated. It's being sugarcoated to tell you that, that 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 okay, you know, you have to do all these things to combat racism in America. Yes, we should be doing things, but that's just sugarcoating. The lie is subversive, the lie is deeper, the lie is underneath. And what's the lie? It is a lie that is trying to convince people that there is a collectivization of sin. That's a lie. That all people in this group are identified the same way. It is a lie that says that all of one people group should bear the burden of the sin. That you innately, because of who you are, are either good or bad. That is the, really the subversive cultural thing that's transpiring. It's about the collectivization of sin. We're all together and we all have done this which is wrong. No, I haven't. Yeah. Don't put that. Amen. I'm redeemed by Jesus. There's neither Jew nor Greek, black nor white, male nor female. I'm an individual before the Lord. I hold myself accountable to Him just he and I, not me and my race. You can't put someone else's guilt on me because I am clean. Yeah. I am pure. I'm being transformed. I'm not like other people that may be walking in those things. So you can't take their thing and put it on them. But their narrative is it's there is no lie. There's only us. Right. If you're tuning yeah. out now, you, yeah, this is like, this is deep, like sociological, this, this is a lie. Yeah. It's a lie that marks, it's a lie that angles, it's a lie that Pharaoh himself, and it's a lie that Adolf Hitler himself was trying to propagate. There is yeah. no I, there's only us. No, there's an I. I. I've seen the day. There's no the- there is no just us. I- I am an individual before the Lord. This is what's going on here, and this is this is the Disney Princess Theology. This is the subversive thing that's happening. And everyone's getting their panties in a bunch about like the racism thing, all this kind of stuff, and oh, you're saying I'm fragile. That's not the real issue in the spirit. The real no. issue in the spirit is that there's a narrative that is saying and trying to say that there is no I, there's only us. That's the lie. Collectivization and grouping people removes the essence of the individual. i am telling you right now, Dr. King is rolling over in his grave. Because when he's thrown in a prison in Birmingham, Alabama, and he's writing a letter and he's sneaking it out of the window, and he gets it published, he's confronting white clergy. And what does he discuss in this? He does not discuss like black versus white. What he says is what we actually need to do is he quotes from the uh, Martin Buber, the the, the Jewish theologian of the 1950s. He says what's going on here is we need to now restore the I-thou relationship. Famous book, I-thou. This is a black man in a prison in Alabama who is actually going against the opposite narrative. He's saying the power is we need to view each other not as us. We need to view each other as eyes. You're an individual that is guaranteed individual rights under the Constitution, and you are an I, an individual, who has been made in the image of God. Amen. That's the complete opposite of trying to lump everyone together into good guys and bad guys. And we're losing this in our culture. We are in an age when the I... The individual is attempting to be removed. And it creates major problems. It creates a disregard for the individual nature of a man. With individual responsibilities, and individual callings, and individual uniqueness. Who's fearfully and wonderfully made. Who knew me in the womb. He didn't know all the white people in the womb, and all the black people in the room. He knew me in the world. And he knew you in the world. We're an I. Yeah, the worship team, our Mary one is here, I'm not sure. But I'm sorry if I'm losing you on something. This is like, this is, I'm, this is like so important. Because there's a theology out there that makes you a victim. Yeah. Amen. You're just waiting for Mr. Government Man to heal you. And if we all just adopt this certain narrative, everything's going to be better. I'm telling you right now, there have been people that have warned us about this the ages, especially in this country. If they take your individuality, they dehumanize you. Yeah. I make decisions on how I interact. Not we. If they can take your individuality, they dehumanize you. And then you are no longer a single free will being made in the image of the living God. You're a robot. You're an animal. This, uh, this results in many things. And I think one of the things that we see in our land is what it results in is if we can dehumanize you because you're just a group and you're not an individual. You know, this is when babies become fetuses. And if it's a fetus, it can be terminated.
0: Amen.
1: No, it's a baby. That's right. No, these babies are all fetuses. They change the language. They change the grouping. They change the identity. And now they can dehumanize you. That's right. But I would argue this. And I think this is what you guys and I need to receive. It's not that they're fetuses. It's not even that they're a baby. They're a joke. They're an Emma. They're a Mark. They're an Eileen. They're a Brandon. They're a Laurel. They have an identity. They're called forth from the womb. Called forth from the womb to go into existence. With a name in heaven. With a purpose in heaven to be displayed on earth. But someone, the enemy, snuffed it out the difference between, oh, it's a fetus or no, it's babies. And we have to have that conversation. It's not a baby. It's a human being with a name and an individuality and a unique specialness from the Lord. But the narrative is, lump them together. You lump them together, they become an animal on a feedlot. That is the lie moved from babies to fetuses, and now that lie is coming after you. You are all the same because of the way you look because of where you live. No. No. I am who I am before the Lord. I will be sitting in the heavenly places, and I have to give an account to my life. I my family won't be there. I, my wife will not be there. I, my church will not be there. I, my ethnic group will not be there. It is I, thou. I'm for thou, oh God, creator of the heavens of earth. It's me and him, alone in a room. And he's going to look at me. And he's going to say, yeah, he did this, he did that, he did that. But guess what? I love you. I redeemed you. God will so love the world, yes, but God so love David. That I would be willing to lay down my life for you if you were the only one on planet Earth. Amen. I'm coming back for a warrior, God, but guess what, David? I'm coming back for you as an individual. And if only you were on Earth, I would have done it all. You need to restore in the deep-seated spiritual roots of this nation and this. A place that says, I am an I with rights. That's right. I'm not a colony. I'm an I. I'm a man made in the image of God. When you remove the individuality of a man, you make him an animal, a mere tool to become for the purpose of an evil master This is, and you know, anyone that you know, would come up against this kind of rhetoric but You mess with the wrong guy I've read the Communist Manifesto I've read Das Kapital I've read the workings of Marx I've read the workings of Engels And I'm telling you, their narrative has always been And always will be the same narrative You are not an individual, you are part of a group and there are good groups and there are bad groups. In the times of Marx, it wasn't black-white, it was rich-poor. The bourgeoisie and the proletariat. You create division. You lump men into categories. And then you seize and you take and you destroy. Now it's happening. It's yeah, it's wealthy and poor, middle class, a whole strat, but it's also black-white. It's also this, that. It's it's all of the same narrative. It she just seems just repackaging it again. I love this. The smallest minority on earth is individual. Those who deny individual rights cannot claim to be defenders of minorities. Amen. Yeah. You lump, you lumping me in with a group. You just remove my individual right to judge. Did I act in racism? But you're white. Did I act in racism? Am I guilty? Do I have any guilt? But you're white. You have to. No. Because I'm not white. yes I am saved yes I am pure in his eyes yet so don't judge me with a group because I'm an individual and if you remove that from me how can you be defending minorities I'm the greatest minority on earth there's only one of me you get what I'm saying the greatest minority on earth is you because you're the only one I'll tell you later Pretty sensitive writers. I don't want say it publicly online. Oh, no. <laughs> no, her name is not. I'll okay. talk. Conclude. There's neither Jew nor Greek. God sees me as I. Explain but I went to a really cool church That really taught the word Well that's great I'm not judging the, the church I'm judging you Did you read the word? Uh, uh, well, I'm sorry. Did you have time with me? Did you worship me? Did you pray to me? What well, 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 what was a really great church But did you? When one groups humans into packages They are trying to remove the individual soul And so the lie too is removing a sense of the soul creates no sense of responsibility and no sense of uniqueness. Why don't we stand? When God raised up an army for revival in the land of Israel in biblical times, He did not just raise up an army. And today, the Lord is looking for revival, and he's not going to raise up a church. In scripture, he, yes, raised up an army, and we can equate that to raising up a church in this day. But when he was raising up an army, he, he doesn't just raise up this army, he raises up a Gideon. He doesn't just raise up an army, he raises up a Deborah. We're all looking for a revival. and We're looking for the church that's giving the church revival. You're looking at it wrong. He doesn't raise up an army. He raises up people. And he's saying to us today that he wants to raise you up. He wants to raise you up. Not his church up. Enough of that. He doesn't want to raise his church up. He wants to raise you up. He wants to raise you up for revival. So, we need to bear responsibility with this. We can't just be this snow white figure. We can't just be a Disney princess. We can't listen to the lie that you are a victim and you've been abandoned. We can't listen to the lie that you are the sum of many parts. No, Jesus died for you. He's coming back for you. But when he returns, when he returns, let him see a victorious, Warrior bride. So don't be a Disney princess. That's not what he wants to come back for. He wants to come back for victorious. Warrior bride. For those that have ears, let them hear. For those that have eyes, let them see. Zechariah 10 verse 2. For the idols speak delusion. serve here. I'm not. <laughs> For the idols speak delusion. The diviners envision lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore the people wend their way like sheep. They're in trouble because there is no shepherd. My anger is kindled against the shepherds and I'll punish the goat herds. For the Lord of hosts will visit his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them as his royal horse in the battle. For him comes the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler together. They shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and the riders on the horses shall be put to shame right now Lord I prophetically speak over the dry bones come on let's just feel the Lord wants to do something right here just hang with me a little longer this is a moment this this is a spiritual destiny moment While we speak right now to the dry bones over the white church and the black church and the mixed church, we breathe the press, we breathe the breath of God over you. Arise. Arise into your calling. I see right now, like Ezekiel, I see the bones coming together. I see the bones are forming. And I see the and the muscle, the skin being reattached to be raised up into a bride, into a warrior bride that no longer is a victim, that no longer feels abandoned, that no longer identifies with grooms. But knows who they are before a living God. And I. Father, right now I pray. You restore the I in the family of God. And you restore the thou. Thou is the royal declaration of you to God. Thou. You, oh God. Not to the pastor. You, oh God. Not to the church. You, oh God. Not the governmental system you, oh God, not just some ideology, you, 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 and I now. We Breathe it. Let it go forth in this day. Let it go forth in this hour. For the time has come to be raised up. Go to war in the spirit.